Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 11 and 19 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the return of Thon Maker to the rotation, how this team's youth is affecting its play, and the most frustrating elements of the season to date. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast, especially in these trying times. Uh, the best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to facilitate the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased as always. To be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, Laz, I'm doing pretty good. Happy holidays to you and to your family and loved ones and to all the listeners out there. Whatever you're celebrating, I I hope you all have an absolutely wonderful time off. I'm uh, certainly looking forward to it. So uh, how are you doing, Laz? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm in Michigan. I'm in Detroit this week, so I'm very excited about that. Very excited to be uh, spending time with my family. Happy holidays to you as well but uh things could be better because uh the pistons went zero and four this week not fun uh they fell to 11 and 19 on the year they're down to zero and eight against the bulls wizards and hornets aka teams they are supposed to be better than the vultures are starting to circle around the season and for me the the single most frustrating part of all of this is that they remain a game and a half out of the playoffs like i can handle being eight games under 500 uh, I could handle being you know knocked very far out of the playoffs six game out of the playoffs this early in the season not a problem but when it's just tantalizing the the prospect of that playoff spot just continues to tease me because none of the other Eastern Conference teams are any good even though you know we said the Pistons are 0 8 against those the uh, Bulls Hornets and Wizards you know those teams have been uh, very poor when they're not playing the Detroit Pistons and so you know I just keep holding on to this hope that you know if they were able to put together two decent weeks they could you know move into that eighth spot and you know not have a not have a good year by any stretch of the imagination but still have a year where they were able to hit the goals that they set out for themselves but you know, ultimately, that's probably not where they're headed, and so the the prospect of them uh, not being able to put it to, to, together for two weeks and it's still just being oh so close is what's frustrating me the most right now. What's what's frustrating you about the season so far, Ben? Yeah, I mean it's it's been a a pretty bad year. Obviously, that goes without saying. There's a few things that frustrate me. Um, you know, the first one was, you know, since we started this podcast a handful of years ago. One of the things that I've tried to do is is really choose to be, you know, looking for the optimism and the positive things about the season, because who wants to listen to a podcast, right? That's just all negative, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And this year was really the first year where I, I was like legitimately believing that this could be a pretty decent squad. And, um, you know, I thought this was a legitimately winning roster 
with the big if, if everybody stays healthy. And of course that hasn't happened. So huge disappointment because I was really looking forward to this season Uh, and each week, just a little more soul crushing. And this one, you know, to me, this is probably the worst week of basketball from my perspective, because we've got Luke Kennard missing time. We've got Christian Wood missing time. We've got Blake Griffin missing time. Uh, And of course we lose four games that were really never even competitive. I mean, we were really never legitimately in any of the games this week. So big, big time down week. Um, You know, thinking back to when the Blake Griffin trade happened, um, you know, talking about what's frustrating for me, there's two things I worried about um, when that trade happened, in spite of the fact that Blake is obviously a very good player. First of all, his injury history, right? Like going all in on a guy who's aging and hurt comes with a big risk. And unfortunately, we're seeing what that risk is. It's played out in real time in front of us. And then the second thing that concerned me is it, it could lead to Detroit parting ways um, with Andre Drummond, which in and of itself may not be a bad thing. But my concern was that it would force them into a scenario where they'd need to move on from him for less than he's worth. And right now that's, you know, the fan base is divided about Drummond has been for years. How the heck do they rebuild this thing with Griffin and Drummond on the books? That's the big question. Looks like it it could be moving on from Andre Drummond. In spite of the fact that Gores loves him, I know all those things. That's frustrating to me. Uh, And I think the third thing that's really frustrating to me right now, Laz, is um, you know, there's been a, a large contingent of the fan base, particularly on Detroit Bad Boys, and, and some of our writers have articulated this, and Steve Henson comes to mind as one who's articulated this for a number of years. Uh, Sean as well. Sean has also talked about this a lot. The Pistons seem so reluctant to do a full rebuild, right? And this goes all the way back to trading Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson. We didn't we didn't rebuild, we reloaded in air quotes, right? And we're still (laughs) stuck on that treadmill of losing year after losing year after losing year with the exception of last year and the the year they won 44 wins with SVG. It just feels like a whole lot of stubbornness right now because to me, at this point in the season, in spite of the fact that they're only a game out of the eighth seed like you talked about, they're in this really unique situation where all of the injuries have forced them into what could be like a perfect tank, right? Like you shut down Blake Griffin for as long as it takes to get healthy, even if that's 30 games, right? Because next season he comes back together as a useful piece of your team or as a trade asset. Um, You trade Galloway and Rose for whatever future assets you can get. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And then you play the young unproven guys to see what you've got. And these pieces like Wood, uh, and Seku, who's who's doing some really good stuff in the D-League, throw Jordan Bone into that conversation, right? Fantastic athlete. We have no idea if he's going to become a basketball player. Svi, Kyrie Thomas, if he's actually healthy. And then, you know, see what you've got in those guys. And then let Luke and Bruce, your other two young guys, stretch themselves a bit. They've already been stretched this season, but stretch them a little more. The Pistons could do all of the things you would want a legitimately tanking team to do and potentially come out ahead uh, by the time we get to the, the start of next season. So I'm really frustrated by the stubbornness of the Pistons um, to not really engage in what could be a real rebuild. I think they've got, excuse me, I think they've got an opportunity to do that this year. I said three things, I'll throw four. Let's say the Pistons manage to put something together and win 35 or 37 wins and sneak into that eight seed. 
how satisfying does getting swept by the Bucks feel to anybody at this point if they do manage to get back into the playoffs? So you've essentially repeated a season ago and managed to have a worse record and then get stomped again. Uh, to me, that doesn't seem like a really appealing outcome. So frustrating year. Lots of talk about the frustration right there, Laz. Uh, I'm really down in the dumps about this team right now and not enjoying a whole lot of things that are happening. No, completely understandably so. And the thing that I keep coming back to is something that, you know, as you mentioned, other people on the board have uh, talked about being worried about is that like if if that last scenario where they were able to somehow put it together for this last stretch of the season and win 37 games and make the playoffs and get stumped by the Bucks, like would the front office take away the lesson that, you know, this team isn't very good and needs to be rebuilt? Or would, you know, the takeaway from that be like, hey, like uh, we managed to win, you know, 25 games, 26 games in the latter half of the season and make the playoffs with at a below 500 rate. Like we, we still can improve on this team because that that's the lesson you know, of uh, this year. They you know they took away from last year winning 41 games. They're like, hey, we can we can build on this team with our free agent additions. We can add Derrick Rose to shore up. Uh, the backcourt we can we can add Markeith Morris to to be a stretch option at a and like in lieu of John Luer who didn't play at all this last year uh, we can add these things to a playoff team and then get even better but this team does not appear to be one that you can build upon and still like expect good results just because of the injury history you know the team is also constrict uh, configured a little bit differently because of Reggie Jackson's uh and incoming expiring contract because of uh, Langston Galloway's incoming expiring contract. So I think that, you know, even if they were to, you know, hit my dream scenario and, you know, make that eight seed and uh, make the playoffs, it, the, it does appear that they would learn the uh, the wrong lessons from that and, uh, and, you know, continue to run on the treadmill. And I don't think that's something that anybody is, uh, is in favor of, of at this point. And, you know, it's, the thing that I kind of, I'm not, we're off of frustration. I'm just kind of transitioning into the to the next thing here. Uh, the thing that does kind of give me hope is that while they're they're pulling off this like perfect secret tank, uh, they they are they are playing a lot of the young guys. Maybe not uh, maybe not Seku as much as people would like. Maybe not Jordan, Jordan Bone as much as people would like. But like you know, in a normal rotation, uh, you know, Svee wouldn't be seeing time. You wouldn't see Derek Rose, or you wouldn't see uh, Bruce Brown starting at point guard. So they are playing their young guys, and right now they have the the characteristics of a young team. They have uh, regressed defensively, and they've started turning the ball over a lot more. Um, you know, in this four game losing streak this week, they they allowed an average of 119 and a half points a game, and they turned the ball over an average of 17.3 times a game, like that to me are the, are the hallmarks of a team that's uh, that's on the younger side is, you know, playing defense poorly, not communicating on that end. Uh, we saw the return of the uh, of the zone defense as a way for Casey to trying to get guys to promote communication and everything. Um, I'm yeah. When, you know, when Luke Kennard, like when, when you have a young guy like Luke Kennard, who's supposed to be, he was a lottery pick who's supposed to be one of your better trade asset or just better like building blocks uh, for, for this team. And even he's doing things like throwing the ball away in crunch time of a, of the Chicago game. Like that it's, you start to believe like, you know, maybe this team is just young and uh, those issues aren't going to resolve themselves easily. Is that, does that a, is that a theory that makes sense to you, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's lots of factors you've got, you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is you've got these young players um, in roles that they probably weren't 
ever expecting to play. And in particular, I think about Bruce Brown and I think about Luke Kennard and a team with Derek Rose and Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson leading your offense. You probably don't expect Luke Kennard to be the guy with the ball in his hands and crunch time a whole lot. So yes, I think we're, we're seeing and testing the limits of guys like Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown and learning that there's either more development that needs to happen or, you know, those aren't the roles that they ought to be playing. Um, I think you can also say the same thing to some degree for Andre Drummond. Dre has always been a little bit turnover prone, particularly so when he tries to generate his own offense. And look, when the roster is as depleted as it is right now, um, you know, Dre forcing his own offense is unfortunately one of your better options. And that may lead to some turnovers. And of course, I'm going to mention Blake Griffin too, because even when he's played, he obviously hasn't been himself. And when you try, if you've ever been an athlete and you've been injured and you've tried to play through it, um, you know that this is the case. You're you're not capable of doing the things that instinctually and habitually you just try to do without thinking. Uh, and when you're hurt, you can't do them, uh, and that leads to turnovers and bad decisions and bad shots. So I think there's lots of things going on, Laz. I think you're definitely on to one of them. Um, and I think the question moving forward is, like as I mentioned in the first segment here. Um, what are the real limits of these young guys? Is it a matter of continued development or have we sort of brushed up against the top of the ceiling? And for me, that's an open question. I don't know which of those two is the case um, right now. That is an excellent point about Blake and uh, the lack of, um, you know, the lack of connection between what he's used to his body being capable of and what it's currently capable of. And, you know, you we really saw Blake make, uh, an impact on defense just, you know, with his brain more so than with his body. But at the same time, like if his body is forcing his brain not to be out there, like you're, you're, uh, there are times when like guys can't lean on that experience. It's hard to, you don't have that necessarily those calls in the moment and those are causing like breakdowns further down the line. And that's, that's leading to part of the reason why the the defense has played poorly. You know, it's, it's in, you, you talked a lot about guys who, uh, are maybe brushing up against the the edge of what we think their their NBA role could be. Uh, one of those guys is Thon Maker. You know, Christian Wood got hurt uh, in the Toronto game, and he's thankfully not very seriously hurt because you know, as as strange as this would have sounded in in you know August, like Christian Wood is now like a very integral part of this Pistons team. But uh, but his injury you know did elevate Thon in the rotation, and uh, he's. Back to playing, you know, his usual backup center minutes. Uh, man, how is uh, how's Thon Maker look to you in the, in the couple <laughs> games he's played? Yeah, you know, Thon, okay. I, I'm going to say one positive thing that I wasn't planning to say, and that is Thon did some nice things offensively. I wasn't expecting particularly, I think it was the Chicago game where he made all of his buckets. He didn't even miss, I don't think. But but here's the, here is Thon Maker in a nutshell for me, right? Against the Bulls, the Pistons got out-rebounded. 46 to 29, right? That's with the best rebounder on the planet on the team, right? So he, Dre had 14 of those 29, almost 50% of the rebounds, right? Thon Maker played just over 12 minutes. He had zero rebounds, <laughs> zero rebounds. So to me, like, yeah, Thon does a, a, a couple nice things here or there. They had a little segment uh, interviewing him and part of the game where he talked about wanting to be the guy off the bench who brings the energy on defense, et cetera, et cetera. It's just so hard for me to get past his inability to rebound the basketball and how much that hurts 
defensively. And Les, this is one of the things I've talked about on the pod. One of the reasons I believe in Andre Drummond as a defender is because he is such an incredible defensive rebounder. You, you know, if you're playing the Pistons, if, if you don't, well, at least historically throw this season out the window, but you know, if you're playing the Pistons, if you don't make your first shot, Drummond's probably going to pull that rebound down. You're not going to get a second look. This year, you can throw that out the window because the Pistons cannot rebound the ball to save their lives, especially without Blake out there. You know, Thon and, and Markeith Morris, who was very good offensively against the Bulls, combined for a single rebound against oh. the Bulls, which is absolutely unacceptable. So to me, like, yeah, we could talk about the, the nice things that Thon does. And Laz, maybe you can balance me out and do some of that. But man, I am just over him. Um, his inability to rebound is just something I can't get past. I was I was going to note that my my nice thing for Thon is going to be that uh, you know uh, as a lot of people noted during the Boston game very early, uh, he's shooting quite well from three this season on a very limited number of attempts, and that probably won't hold. But I think he was like seven of fifteen or something like that from three. It's like hey, that's pretty good. I'll take that. But. You know, it's not even that he doesn't rebound. It's that when he is crashing the offensive glass and uh, does and fails to secure a rebound that you know a normal center would get. Uh, a lot of the times, he's uh, he's you know causing a lot of deflections, causing a lot of chaos, and that turns into transition defense, an element you know of the game where the Pistons have just been awfully just atrocious this year. Um, you, you think about times where he's communicating in the zone and I'm thinking about a time when um, like they had a little drop-off pass behind uh, behind him for a dunk and he's just committing unnecessary fouls around the rim just because he's trying to trying to block everything trying to impact the game on, on that end of the floor um, you know I I like the mentality Thon has uh, I like that um, I like that Thon appears ready to compete uh, every night. There are a lot of guys who, uh, after you know, clamoring for a trade from their former team because they wanted to play more, and then finding themselves out of the rotation would have you know sulked and not been ready after after an injury to the guy in front of them. But Thon appears to have been like in a good place mentally. Uh, you know, I'd also want to commend him for the the energy he said he wanted to bring in that interview uh, during the Chicago game. You know, however. You know, if he just doesn't have the the requisite skills, if he just doesn't, you know, grab a rebound in twelve minutes, it's really it's really difficult for me to say like he should be a part uh, of this team and he should be, uh, you know, with this team in the future. Um, I'm glad that you know we. I'm glad that they have Christian Wood. Um, it's it's a little it's a little striking how much I was uh, how saddened I was by like the prospect that Christian Wood could be out. For, for a couple of weeks just because like the Pistons have really needed uh, that guy. They really needed that guy with, with that energy and that skill set, and, you know, with those ability to, to actually grab rebounds every once in a while. Okay. So the next thing I guess I want to talk about was the uh, now, now that the vultures are circling around the season and the secret season's kind of swirling down the drain, we can talk about the, the, the more uh, elementary aspects of what should happen next um, like you've, yeah, like you've pointed out, um, if this, like, if this team decides to just, you know, do the single season tank, Langston Galloway and Derek Rose, like should not be here. Um, and so the question doesn't become like, should they be traded? It becomes like, what is the 
optimal return for a guy like Langston Galloway and Derrick Rose. And so Ben, I'm going to put that question to you. What for the uh, for the Pistons future? What is the what's the optimal return for guys like Langston Galloway and Derrick Rose? Yeah, so temper expectations because obviously neither of these guys in and of themselves are going to bring back significant hauls, but I I think Derrick Rose makes a lot of sense for a team that wants to win either this year or next year. He can obviously shore up um, even a strong bench, right? Like he he can even shore up a strong bench because what he's been doing even a season ago and then again this year, particularly staying healthy, obviously there's a huge benefit to a team that can afford to really manage his minutes. So a playoff team that's looking to maybe get from the first round into the second round or second round into the conference finals, that's the kind of team I see making a move with for Derrick Rose. And I think realistically what you're thinking about getting back in a trade like that is uh, contracts that match and, and don't commit you to long-term money unless it's some sort of a rookie scale deal, or maybe you're looking at three years instead of two. And I'd love to find a way to get a future pick out of that. If you're talking about um, a potential playoff team, maybe that's a, you know, a really late first rounder. If you're taking on sort of a, a you know, a lost cause contract back. I could see like a, a bad player in a first round pick, or I could see a young player who doesn't have a chance of cracking a playoff rotation uh, for a team that's looking to win this year. So that would make sense to me for Derrick Rose. And I would do that. Give me something that can make the team better next year or a year from now, or at least has the potential to do so. Langston's obviously a much more short-term rental. He's on the the last year of his contract, right? So the return is probably even lower. But something like an equivalent contract uh, with a future second-round pick attached to it would make a lot of sense to me. Um, Or if the Pistons do try to do some sort of rebuild, um, you know, if there's a a big man on a small contract somewhere who's just capable of playing like halfway decent big men minutes just to absorb the minutes that Blake Griffin being out creates – uh, I could see doing something uh, like that for Langston Galloway. So I, I don't think there's a a big return there for either of those guys. But if you could get a future first and a future second out of the both of them, uh, I think that's all right. I think I think I would do that. Yeah. The hmm, would you would you be willing to take on more long term bad money? Uh, to get a a better selection of of picks, I'm thinking about like um, I'm thinking about uh, Milwaukee, who I believe has Indiana's first round pick and uh, could use another wing shooter like a Langston Galloway, um, and has the the uh, extremely uh, George Hill is a good player, but they signed him for uh, far too much money and. Uh, and, and I'm thinking about like that type of deal that doesn't, that, you know, would be the Pistons don't necessarily need max cap space or anything during this rebuild. So you kind of be renting out your cap space at the cost of, uh, you know, you know, uh, absorbing a guy who's probably not going to help you win that much more games, but in, in return for like a slightly better first round pick for a Langston Galloway, something like that would be interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. And it depends too on, the type of reset or rebuild the front office wants to pursue. Right. So if you're, um, you know, if you're parting ways with Andre Drummond and he's just opting out and leaving, you're probably talking about a little bit longer term rebuild because you're probably going to wait out Blake Griffin's contract a little bit. Um, Or maybe he gets healthy and comes back. Who knows? Right. But you're probably realistically thinking about waiting that contract out. If you do that, then sure. I mean, you're not worried about winning a whole lot next year, maybe even the year after that. 
you take on a guy like George Hill, a little bit longer term money for the sake of a better pick, I would be okay with that too. Um, it just, to me, it depends on the type of reset they want to, how big of a reset button they want to push, I guess. So that actually kind of, that kind of brings me to my next point. I, this is something I asked uh, James Edwards on my other podcast, the Pistons versus everybody podcast. Um, because of, because now of Blake's injury and his injury history and the, we're not entirely certain about what a, what to what level he will be able to recover and how long that recovery will take. And so it's looking like it'll be a lot more difficult uh, to trade Blake, to get Blake's contract off the books. Um, I asked James, like, would you be willing to trade Luke Kennard, uh, attach Luke Kennard to Blake as an asset in order to kind of make uh, Blake's contract a little less sour for uh, opposing teams to absorb? And I say that with like the knowledge that Luke is very popular among Pistons fans. He represents um, one of the the young pieces that Pistons fans would like to be to rebuild around. He's very good. Uh, I think um, this kind of harkens back to the discussions we had during the summer about like Mike Conley and, and Russell Westbrook, right? Like I think not including Luke in a trade for a Mike Conley or a Russell Westbrook ultimately like proved to be the the right move. You know, Mike Conley has not played very well this year. Uh, neither has Russ, and uh, obviously those guys would uh, still be influential on this team. But if Blake wasn't healthy, I still don't think the team would be. I think the team would be in a better position, but not in like a, an extremely uh, better position without Blake Griffin and having those guys on the roster. And so, uh, you know, if it if it came down to it, I think I would rather attach Luke to a Blake in order to get Blake out of town, rather than get uh, give up like a future first round pick or multiple future first round picks uh, to get Blake out. Simply because, like, although I like Luke, I believe you can draft another player of Luke's talent level um, with a with another lottery pick. Like, I don't I don't love the draft this year, but it would not surprise me if you could get uh, another player uh, just as good as Luke Kennard, but you know, younger, more in line with the timeline of a guy like a Seku or uh, you know some of the guys they drafted this year. Um, his uh, his future cheaper for now, and his uh, fu- in the future would be cheaper. You know, Luke is as I believe only he only has one more year uh, past this one before he's extension eligible, and then he's got his restricted free agency. And you know, I I expect Luke to be able to uh, secure like a pretty good contract because again, he's a he's a very good player. Um, but I don't know if that pretty good contract that he deserves is going to be uh, something that he. It's something that's like conducive to a, a full scale rebuild. And so like, you know, thinking of all those things, trying to piece all those elements together is, uh, is attaching Luke Kennard to Blake Griffin to, to make Blake Griffin's contract easier to get out of town. Something that uh, you're interested in, Ben. Yeah, that hurts. Even, even having to ask the question hurts a little bit. Um, yeah. So I put this joke on, on Twitter. Um, if you could trade Luke can, or sorry, if you could trade Blake Griffin for Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris right now, straight up, which team says no. Right, like, yeah, it, like it hurts because um, we sent out a first round draft pick, right? And if if we're trading away Blake Griffin and attaching another first round draft pick, it turns out to be pretty decent. That stings. Um, you've made a compelling case. Uh, I I think the thing is, um, Luke is one of the few draft picks who has worked and grown and blossomed in Detroit. Like we have this terrible history 
of drafting these guys, underdeveloping them, trading them away, and seeing them blossom elsewhere. Luca's one of those few guys who has blossomed in Detroit. And I think the the thing that that does for me is it makes me prone to overvalue him a little bit, right? Like, like you said, it is possible to draft a player of Luke Kennard's skill set in the lottery, right? Like that's not, it's not as if it's this unreasonable task, right? And, and look, Luke has some clear limitation to his game, particularly on the defensive side of the floor, right? Like his, his defense is just not good enough right now. And it, it may not ever be really good. Um, I'd hate to see it happen because I don't, I I just, I hate to see losing a decent resource and asset for the sake of expediting Blake's contract getting out of town. But my thought is if you do that and you're able to do it this season and you're able to do it this summer and you're parting ways with Andre Drummond at the same time, then you're actually engaging in like a full rebuild. And if you're talking about bringing a lottery pick back in order to do that, and maybe you've brought a first round pick and a future second round pick because you've traded uh, Rose and Galloway. Um, if all of that happens, I think I could be okay with doing it. If it's just trading Blake Griffin and Luke Kennard for a future pick and you don't do the rest of that stuff, I feel like you're still sort of directionless, right? Like you're just making moves because maybe it seems logical to make a move. Um, so I could be persuaded, Laz, that that's a good idea if it's part of a full-scale rebuild. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was uh, like I said, I'm at home. I'm in Michigan, so I was talking to my father-in-law, who is uh, a pretty big Pistons fan. And he was he couldn't believe that, like, Luke Kennard's next contract is, like, basically around the corner. Yeah. And I was, it's and I asked third him, year. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, like, what, you know, what kind of, what would you be willing to pay Luke? And he said, like, you know, like $10 million. And, you know, he's not a big NBA fan. He doesn't know, like, what other guys get paid. I tell him, like, no, like, Luke's going to garner, like, you know, 16, 17, yeah. 18 million dollar contract. He's like, oh, like, oh, like, no, you can't, you can't do that. He's not, he's not worth that. He doesn't play defense. Like, he doesn't do all these things. And, and so, you know, that being able to eclipse that question in advance is something that, uh, it, you know, for a rebuilding team, being able to eclipse that question in advance is also something I think that's worth. Uh, just pondering, you know? Yeah. And again. the thing is like you, you mentioned restricted free agency, like the possibility of a sign and trade, even though those are pretty rare, right? Like they don't yeah. happen a lot, but um, losing his rights and sending his rights away also hurts a little bit too, because the option isn't just re-sign him for 18 million. It's also if the market pays him that we can match it. And we know that that's his market value or we could facilitate it a sign and trade. So like the restricted free agency of a guy coming off of his rookie deal has, has value in and of itself if it's a good player. So, you know, you're, you're, you're attaching a pretty good chunk of uh, trade value, a real asset uh, in that scenario, aside from, you know, what he does for your franchise on the floor. Absolutely. I will say though, that one thing I was uh, encouraged by this off season was the uh, the trade more there were more trade with restricted free agents. We saw a guy like Malcolm Brogdon uh, get signed and traded. We saw a guy like uh, I believe Tyus Jones was also signed and traded on his restricted free agency rights. And so uh, eas- easing that deal, easing those, um, easing those, uh, making those deals like easier to facilitate is uh, is I think a good thing for the league and could also kind of help the Pistons in this individual case, which is good. All right, Ben. Uh, 
the Pistons do play games this week, unfortunately. <laughs> they have a uh, a Monday home game against Philadelphia, a Thursday home game against Washington. Also, again, they are 0-2 against Washington this season. And uh, then Saturday, they start the longest road trip of the year, a six-game, mostly West Coast road trip uh, against San Antonio. And so, you know, since we're uh, since we're now thinking this team needs to be rebuilt, I believe we should start ca- uh, counting losses instead of wins. And so, Ben, uh, how many losses will the Pistons have this week? Uh, man, we're really in like darkest possible timeline mode at this point, right? Like, no, right? We can't even count on the Wizards as a win. And look, shout out to you, Les, because you called this a week ago, right? Like you, you wrote it in the preview, you talked about it on the podcast. Uh, Washington got us. Um, so look, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, zero three. We've got question marks around Blake and Luke. They're sort of day to day. We've got backup potentially starting Thon Maker at power forward or center. Um, you know, look, Philly's good. Um, Washington is apparently better than we are, and then that road trip gets ugly. And I still don't like playing San Antonio, uh, no matter how bad they are, no matter which court we're playing them on. So. Uh, let's let's talk it, about it as seven losses in a row. Unfortunately, zero and three seems pretty likely to me. Man, it it seems like just yesterday that they were five and two in the month yep. of December, yep. and everything has just flipped so so quickly. I agree with you. For what it's worth, I totally believe the Pistons uh, don't win another game this month and uh, exit the month on a seven game losing streak. But you know. Let's do something a little bit happier. Let's do something a little bit less dour to close the podcast. It is the holiday season. We got Christmas this week. Hanukkah started today, the 22nd, according to Google. If that's not the case, I apologize to our Jewish listeners. Uh, Kwanzaa begins on the 26th, also per Google. If that's not the case, I apologize. So I'm back in Michigan with my family. You're obviously in, in Michigan with your family, Ben. What's your favorite part of this holiday season? Oh, man. You know, first and foremost, let's keep it on the basketball theme. Christmas Day is just a joy for NBA fans, right? It's like the Thanksgiving of football fans. Of course, you got to watch the Lions if you're a football fan. So that that sucks a little bit. But, you know, so many great memories sitting on the couch with my dad uh, watching basketball on Christmas. So that's always a highlight. Um, family is important to me. I'm fortunate to have family that I'll be spending time with here in Michigan. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, full-time working man with a family, I absolutely love the fact that I can take like four personal days and be off for like 12 calendar days straight. Cause I'm lucky Christmas Eve and Christmas are holidays. New Year's Eve and New Year's are holidays. So I can just, I can have like a, a nice little vacation and only have to spend four vacation days so i'm happy about that Les. i like that that's a very mature answer it's like <laughs> the the pto the pto is what gets you no uh for me i think my favorite part of this holiday season for a while now has been able to uh experience you know two two separate sides of the family uh, simultaneously mm-hmm. uh, my wife is also from michigan and so we, we split the time while we're here we spend half the time with my family half the time with her family uh, usually we make the transition kind of on Christmas Day and just being able to uh, spend time with both sides of the family, um, being uh, being subject to each family's like kind of individual uh, family traditions, um, being just seeing the, the differences and the, and the similarities between the two uh, just makes for like a really, a really entertaining and, and fun holiday season. Uh, my second favorite thing is the is the bag of mystery. I hate 
wrapping gifts. Yeah. And, so, and so a couple of years ago, I just bought like this big, huge uh, stand-up Christmas theme bag. And so in lieu of wrapping everything, I put I put everything in there. I put some tissue paper down on top. I stapled the top, uh, say, do not open until December 25th. And then uh, Christmas morning, I get to open the bag, uh, hand out presents. I feel very <laughs> Santa-esque. Yeah, very much like Santa. Yeah. I like it. And uh, and in the meantime, you know, I don't, when we finish this podcast, I don't have to go upstairs and wrap any gifts. It's perfect. I like it. <laughs> all right, Ben. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can talk to you, where they can see all the uh, the beautiful pictures of your family this holiday season. <laughs> yeah, at br Golker on Twitter. Give me some. Give us some trade proposals. Tell us. Uh, tell us what you think the Pistons ought to be doing because I think I think pretty much everybody is on the rebuild train by now i don't think there are many many people left saying hey let's keep this together so give us something to talk about give me some of those trade machine creative ideas so we can we can break it down uh, when we get to it next week i love it i love it and you can hit me with those trade ideas at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e on twitter uh you can also hit us up in the in the podcast posts um, we love fake trade ideas. We'll, we'll talk them through, and it does seem like that's that's what we that's what we've got to look forward to now is uh, is fake trades as Pistons fans. Uh, all right, uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and uh, Merry Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, and we will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>